Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 588 of the podcast and it is Thursday the 18th of November 2021 as I record this a little bit early. So in today's show I'm talking to Alan Baxter about how short stories can be the basis to an award-winning long-term author career and how mastery of the craft as well as patience and determination can make all the difference over a decade of publishing across indie and traditional markets. So that's coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, Written Word Media released their annual report on the state of indie authorship in 2021. And if you don't know, Written Word Media run sites like Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy, New In Books, Red Feather Romance, other uh, sites like that that focus on paid email marketing. And uh, some of the interesting things, indie authors who've been writing for five years have an average of seven books, and authors with over a decade of writing have 20 books. And uh, both Alan Baxter in the interview section and me, uh, we both have uh, over 20 books. So I think that makes sense. And I know if you're starting out, it can be hard to see that you're going to get to that kind of volume. But if you get the bug, (laughs) once you get the bug, you just end up writing more and more books. You just can't stop. Uh, Some people don't get the bug and that's completely fine. But if you do, it is not. I wouldn't say it's difficult to write 20 books over a decade. Uh, Also, Amazon drives the most sales for 95.5% of authors surveyed. Apple is second at 28%. And I do have to note here that Written Word Media focuses on an audience who pay for ads, many of whom would focus on Amazon for marketing. It's likely different if you market in other ways and if you're not in the USA, which is Written Word Media's primary market. There is consensus among authors that marketing is the toughest part of being an indie author. I think that'll probably make us all feel better. 79% of indies listed marketing as the toughest part of the publishing process. Writing was was second at 14%. So only 14% find writing the hardest part. 79% is marketing is the hardest part. And I think that's true. It's certainly, it's true for me. It's true for all of us. Look, to be honest, I think it's good to admit that. I often get frustrated when traditionally published authors are like, oh, well, it's fine for you because you love doing marketing and indies just love all of that type of thing. <laughs> And, you know, you can't persuade people of your point of view. You just have to get on with your own life. But, um, you know, I I consistently point out that it's not like indies love marketing. Uh, We love selling books. So we pay attention to marketing and we have control of our IP. So marketing, I guess, is easier in some ways and we can make more money with marketing. But that doesn't mean it's easy. So I hope that makes you feel better if marketing is hard for you. Uh, 65% of authors surveyed said making a book free is still effective, which I agree with. Uh, I also have still have books for free for fiction and nonfiction. And in terms of income, uh, 45% of authors surveyed only make between zero and $99 a month. I think that's quite shocking, to be honest. 
<laughs> but there you go. Uh, 30% earn over $1,000 a month from their writing. And 8% make over $10,000 a month on their writing. So I think that's really interesting, something to aspire to there. Uh, I think the first goal is always $1,000 a month, which (laughs) brings me nicely to a free webinar that my friend Nick Stevenson is doing. Uh, Nick runs your first 10,000 readers and Nick helped me goodness, a number of years ago now to set up my fiction funnels and all of that kind of thing with free books and and um, getting traffic and things, particularly with my fiction, although it's completely valid for nonfiction too. So Nick is doing a free webinar. So this is more in useful stuff. We're, we're transitioning into useful stuff now. Uh, it's a free webinar on zero to 1k a month. So zero to $1,000 a month in book sales. That's what he's going to cover on the free webinar which will go through the three-step formula to build a sustainable author career. And Nick's uh, way of doing things is definitely the way I do it. Uh, It includes how to drive traffic to the books, how to convert it, and then automate your systems so you can focus on writing rather than marketing. So the free webinar is on the 2nd of December. And if you register, you can get the replay. I am an affiliate of Nick's 10,000 Reader course, but you don't have to buy anything to attend the webinar. The webinar link is at thecreativepen.com forward slash 2DEC. So it stands for 2nd of December, thecreativepen.com forward slash number 2DEC links in the show notes. In other useful stuff, you can now also get all the sessions from 20 Books Vegas on YouTube. So the conference was on last week in Vegas, and I must admit (laughs) to getting some FOMO, uh, fear of missing out, as I was looking at all the pictures and seeing all the tweets from so many of my author friends and just thinking, uh, I really, I I think if I hadn't been going to New Zealand... (laughs) I might have gone because Vegas is pretty cool. The conference looked amazing and I really would love, 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 love to catch up with a lot of author friends and colleagues and people and you guys, if you were there, I'm sure a lot of you were there. There was a lot of people in Vegas. And uh, so what's so great, though, is that they have all the panels on YouTube for free. So there are loads of different genre panels, depending on what you write. There's branding and marketing. There's making a run at the bestseller list. There's rights licensing, lots of audio sessions, planning, pricing, release strategies. And in fact, even if you don't want a rapid release or write fast, then the 20 Books Conference and the material there on YouTube is super, super useful. So uh, I'll link to that in the show notes or just go to YouTube and search 20 Books Vegas and you'll, you'll find everything. So my quick personal update, uh, I'm recording this early. So as I record this, I'm uh, just packing, I'm surrounded by stuff. And as this goes out, I will be somewhere over the Pacific, probably. (laughs) Uh, We're flying across the other side of the world, heading for New Zealand, which has some very tough quarantine rules for COVID. And they've really only just started their pandemic, to be honest. Uh, So there are lots of restrictions over there. Uh, We're going on a family trip. It is not a holiday. Uh, Jonathan hasn't seen his mum for over two years. Uh, Jonathan's a a New Zealander originally, and I have a New Zealand passport um, because I lived over there for for many years. Uh, So, yeah, we're really going to see my mother-in-law, and uh, I hope... (laughs) 
I really hope the lockdown and the restrictions will be eased enough that we can see some friends and I would like to at least have a swim and maybe lie in the sun. So that would be nice. And uh, yeah, we shall see. I'm still working. As I said, it's a family trip. So we're just going to be mainly staying in Auckland and I'll be working from an Airbnb once we're out of quarantine. So um, the podcast will be continuing as ever. But uh, just recording this early because I am flying. Right, so today's show is actually sponsored by my special Black Friday deal. (laughs) I decided to do one this year because I just finished uh, the AI-assisted author. But what I've decided to do is you can now, you can now get 30% off all my courses, including the AI-assisted author, all my eBooks and all my audiobooks, if you buy direct, using coupon 2021. So the digits 2021-2021. You can get all my courses at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn. That's all my craft courses. So how to write a novel, how to write nonfiction, and my business courses like your author business plan, productivity, how to make a living with your writing. And also my brand new course, the AI assisted author, which goes into all the ways you can use AI tools for writing and book marketing. So um, if you are at all techno curious, then check that out. Go to thecreativepen.com forward slash learn and get 30% off with 2021 coupon at checkout. Also, all my ebooks and audiobooks, if you buy direct at payhit.com forward slash the creative pen, again, use coupon 2021. All of this is valid until the end of the year, obviously, <laughs> because of the date. As soon as it flips over into 2022, that code won't work anymore. So I hope that will set you up for planning your next year, as certainly what I'm starting to do at this point. Um, so yeah, check that out. Again, links in the show notes. So all the special in-between episodes this year have been sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to new patrons this week, A.L. Wardell, Alika, or it might be Alicia McKenna-Johnson, Terry Thomas, Joy Velika-Rodney and Cheryl Rosario or Cheryl Rosario. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting for months and years. You guys have really helped me put the extra time this year into all the extra shows, the NFT shows, the AI shows, and uh, I have one more coming up before the end of the year, which I'll talk about after Alan's interview. So yes, thank you everybody. So let's get into that now. Alan Baxter is the multi-award winning author of horror, supernatural thrillers and dark fantasy across more than 20 books as well as many more short stories. He's also a martial arts instructor and his latest book for writers is The Martial Art of Writing. So welcome back to the show Alan. Thanks for having me again. It's good to chat with you. I know. We've been doing this every couple of years for a decade now. So <laughs> I know, it's such a long time. It is. And of course, we've well, you were one of the first people I met on Twitter and we've talked over the years, but we've never met in person, which is kind of crazy. But let's start by give us a bit of an overview of your writing career, because you've really combined traditional publishing, indie, co-writing, your own books, short stories, novellas. So give us a sort of potted history of, of how it's unfolded. 
<laughs> sure. It's sort of difficult to put into a snapshot, but the sh- short version is I started indie back in the day. I, well, I started trying to get um, a traditional deal on my first novel and I got an agent, did all that stuff. Twice it went to acquisitions and twice it didn't quite make it. And this was right in the early days of Lulu for self-publishing and right in the early days of eBooks. My first book is on Smashwords and, you know, the end of the Smashwords URL for eBooks is the number of the book it is and they're up into the multi-millions now. My first book is number 378. So I was kind of there in the early days of that. But that sort of went okay. Subsequently, I've then been working with small press. I've got a trilogy with HarperCollins here in Australia. I've got novellas and short stories uh, collected and published by various small press and indie publishers. And I still keep a hand in a little bit dabbling with some self-publishing bits and pieces here and there as well. I'm a big believer in the hybrid and uh, many threads to the bow. And I co-write with David Wood as well. We write sort of occult thrillers and monster thrillers, he and I together. And so I think the new, the third Eli Carver book is coming out in December. And I think that's my 25th book. (laughs) Yeah. And people always say, why don't you know exactly how many books you've written? And I'm like, well, it gets difficult with wee prints and new editions and things. Yeah, that's it. And then what what do you count? Like there's a novella that came, that was published by PS Publishing in the UK. That that was a book that was published. That was in the book count, but it was um, a limited edition hardcover that's now in a collector's edition that's sold out still available as an ebook but do I count that or do I not count that and at some point <laughs> that'll go into a future collection as well probably and it's <laughs> so yeah it gets a bit muddy but it's, I like the way you put it more than 20 books that's usually an easy way to put it yeah it is and you're also really prolific short story writer and that is a totally different kind of kettle of fish I think in terms of management of how many stories how do you know how many short stories you've written um <laughs> it's more than 80 that are published now there's a variety and again some some were published in magazines or in online journals that are no longer available that might have subsequently been republished i've got two short story collections out pro shine and surf cold are both collecting across more than a decade that i've been writing short stories and so i think overall in original publications it's 80 something now most of those are available in most places and if they're mm. not in a collection they're on my patreon or they're going to be in a future collection or something yeah and uh, so with short stories in particular but also with other projects how do you track your intellectual property i have some short stories but very few and i have a sort of file structure but i also don't submit to publications or publishers as you do so how do you track your creation and where you send things and the licensing and all of that Um, generally speaking with when selling short stories to magazines and anthologies the general principle with the contract is that they'll buy the story and they'll have an exclusive publication period where you can't publish that same story anywhere else that's usually 12 months and after that the contract they retain the right to continue publishing that anthology or whatever you you could pull your rights at that point but usually obviously you want publishers to keep their books available you want your stories to be found by future readers and whatever else so they they continue to publish the story but the rights revert Um, and so at that point I could include it in a collection or I could uh, put it on my Patreon page for patrons to have a new story to read that they might not have seen in the original publication or anything like that so I've got a file where I've got listed all the stories that have sold and where they've sold to and the date in the contract. So I know that I know what date the rights revert to me. So those stories will continue to exist 
in um, in those original publications. But then if someone comes to me and asks for a reprint or if someone comes and asks if they can do a podcast of one of those stories or periodically I'll go through and see what has come back to me in terms of rights reversion and then I'll approach them podcasters because you can sell short stories multiple times. This is one of the good things about it. You know, you might sell it to a magazine, you might sell it as a reprint, you might sell it again to a podcast for an audio, then you could potentially put it on Patreon. Eventually you might put it in a collection and then you can sell the collection. So short stories tend to work. One of my hardest working short stories has paid me probably six or seven times for the same story. And obviously you, that's that's the stories that are popular and that you can resell like that, but that's the option that you have. So really it's just a case of making sure that any anyone who does reprint that story does so with the rights to do it, you know, that, that they pay for the, the privilege of it. But after that initial sale, once that rights reversion comes back, then you can kind of do what you like with it. So that exclusive period is never usually more than a year. Yes. I, the opportunities in, in for, with shorts are, are fascinating to me, mm. but how do you mm. find the right opportunities to submit either to magazines or anthologies or and also for podcast fiction you mentioned do you are you actively kind of do you have a list of things or is there a a place where people can go to find the latest things I always find it quite confusing and there's so many there's so many possibilities it seems hard to weed them out yeah, it is a bit daunting at first. As same as anything, the more you do it, the more used to it you get, you know. But once you know the the sort of genre that you ride in and the kind of markets that are out there, there's always that sort of top echelon of markets where you know always submit from the top down. You try to get the best pay rate first of all, and when that gets rejected, you work your way down through the list because it's incredibly hard to crack the really pro markets. And but there's various places. There's a website called Submission Grinder where you can put searches in to see what what publications, magazines, anthologies, whatever, accepting what sort of stories and, and what guidelines they might have. There's another one you can subscribe to called Duotrope, which is another one that you can you can track your submissions through it as well. They make it quite a good automated process now, but you can also see what's happening and who's looking for stories. And you just become familiar with the good places are the publishing stories and every once in a while you'll see that nightmare magazine or pseudopod the podcast or whatever have open to submissions again um so if you've got original work that hasn't sold you can take advantage of that submission window or a lot of podcasts they're happy if it's been in print because that's a different medium they're they're audio so they don't care if it's been in print they'll reprint it as audio and they sometimes they're open all the time for that different podcasts obviously everyone's got different submission guidelines but after a while, you do sort of get across who's doing what in your genre and things like keeping an eye on Twitter and stuff, um, keeping in touch with publishers and other other writers. We're always really happy to share, hey, have you seen this is open for submissions? It's always good to keep an eye open and see what's coming up and if a new publisher crops up or a new anthology gets announced or stuff like that. So, mm. it's uh, yeah. But Duotrope and Submission Grinder in particular are really useful websites for finding out what's out there in the first place. Mm. And then it, it's funny because I feel like in the indie community in particular, there is a, a a feeling in inverted commas that writing a book is always a better idea because it's longer. If you're in KU, you get more page reads. You can charge more if you're selling it. Um, but it feels like to me, selling a short story on something like Kindle or Kobo as a single story is not the way to think about it. So obviously you mentioned getting paid for the one year license or whatever. I mean, it's not a massive 
uh, amount of income. But do you find it also markets your longer work? Do you feel like readers of your short fiction Mm. come into your novels? Yeah, definitely. I've always loved short stories. I've always been a real fan of them. I, you know, Roald Dahl short stories for adults when I was 12 years old kind of did my head in and I discovered this amazing world of short fiction. But I never really thought of myself as a short fiction writer. I was always thinking as a, as a novelist. Um, but then the idea that writing short stories, getting short stories published helps to get your name out there and helps to uh, draw attention to your longer works and your novel works was something that I approached it from in the first place and then subsequently started to really enjoy the craft because a short story and a novel are not the same. You know, the, the beginning, middle and end, you need the conflict, blah, blah, blah. The basic principles of storytelling are there. But in terms of craft, they're quite different beasts. And I really enjoyed the process of getting good at short stories. And I began to really enjoy the thrill of selling stories and seeing my stories and my name on the cover of anthologies and stuff like that. Um, and it, it does do really good work for just getting your name out there. A number of people over the years have hit me up in one way or another and basically said, oh, I saw this story in this anthology. I loved it. What other work do you have? Or I've had emails saying, I just found your website because I read so-and-so magazine and you've got so much great work. I you know, can't wait to check out your novels and blah, blah, blah. So that, that it does work like that. It's this kind of multi-pronged approach to, to building a, a readership, to building an audience. Mm. And do you think that might also help indie authors uh, move into what I guess is more of a readers who might read more traditionally? Because uh, a lot of these short story anthologies are done by small press Mm. or things like that. So have you found that it's a good sort of uh, crossover between the the worlds as such? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Editors, particularly independent press and small press editors, are always on the lookout for people you know, for new voices and stuff like that. And generally speaking, readers, they don't have much of an interest, whether you're traditionally published or indie published or whatever. General, The general readership in terms of the people who just see a book they like and read it and enjoy it, they don't really care how it got to them. And so a lot of the time, you just, you're just building a readership where they recognise your name as an author, not necessarily your name as an indie author or as a short fiction author or as a trad published author or anything like that. They just see the name and go, oh, I like that person's writing. Um, and so the more places you can drop your work that might catch someone's eye, the better. And from an indie point of view, if you do sell to anthologies and magazines, there's nothing to stop you after that exclusivity period is over, six months or 12 months. There's nothing to stop you then putting that story out on Kindle or KU as a short story for 99 cents or to put your stories together and, and independently release your own collection of short stories to just add to your catalogue, if you like, and add to your opportunity to reach readers. So the, the, the whole process crosses back and forth. There's no need to stay in one area or in one field. And then in terms of, you mentioned they're very different crafts, the short stories and the and longer works. How do you know when an idea will be a short story or how do you know when it will turn into something longer like a novella or a novel? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? People quite often ask. Honestly, it's just kind of a feel having done it a lot. Um, in general speaking, for me, I tend to find that a novel idea will be when several, two, three at least, different sort of ideas that are sort of complementary. They kind of crash together in a certain way, and I realise how I can use several ideas together. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a book. And that may be a novella, maybe a novel, but, you know, it, it's a bigger thing. Whereas a short story will often be a, a more of a single idea or exploring a single point. In some ways, 
if you it's a short story is a bit like getting really tightly focusing a lens down onto a story so you don't have a lot of backstory subplots secondary characters you're just really zooming in on the sort of closer ideas even if you're telling a big story which you can in short fiction of course but it tends to just be that more tightly focused lens and so usually it comes from that what sort of vibe of story I'm going to tell but it, I don't always get it right like with I mentioned the Eli Carver books earlier on the first one of those I was writing a short story for a particular submission call and I had this cool idea of basically this opening scene of how to start this short story and I started writing it and I was like, by the time I was a couple of thousand words into it, I was like, oh, I've hardly begun. This is actually a really massive idea. And it all grew in my mind. And I, oh, okay, this is actually going to be a novel. Oh, fantastic. I'll have to write something else for this anthology. I think I've got a novel idea here. As it turned out, it came in at about, I think about 38,000 words or whatever. So it turned out to be a good sized novella and has subsequently sold to Grey Matter Press. And now we're on the third the third novella in that ongoing novella series comes out in December. So that was one I got totally wrong. I thought it was a short story, decided actually this is a novel and it turned out to be a novella. <laughs> but that's that's unusual. Normally I kind of get it right because I have a feel for the sort of thing that I'm writing. And so, yeah, when it comes to short stories, especially if you're writing for a submission call where there's a themed anthology or something like that, um, they tend to sort of trigger these ideas and things that you want to explore with this tighter focus and so it's uh, and I tend to overwrite a lot and then edit back it's not unusual for me to sell a 5,000 word story that was eight or nine thousand words in first draft and then I've got to come to your awards <laughs> because you have a whole shelf of awards at this I don't point have that many <laughs> you do have quite a few <laughs> I've got a few yeah. You, yeah you have a few and what are those for are they for short stories or for novels and what have you found have you noticed anything different about your award-winning work than your other work or is it just a matter of that was the taste of the judges at that time yeah the latter I think the taste of the judges it, it does tend to change a lot there's three main national awards in Australia, the Orialis Awards, the Australian Shadows Awards and the Ditmar Awards. I've been a finalist in all three of those awards quite a few times each. And in all three of those awards, I've been a finalist for novel and for long fiction, which tends to be novella length stuff, and for short fiction and for collection. And so I've, I've been very fortunate to have had my work recognised like that and been nominated on all lengths. The, the awards that I've actually won for novellas, short stories and collections. So despite the several nominations, I haven't actually won an award for a novel yet, which and this is the, the nature of being a writer, because like you say, I've got a few awards sitting on the shelf there and I'm still sitting here going, yeah, but I haven't got one for a novel yet, which is <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of bugs me. It's kind of annoying. Um, even though I've had several that have been shortlisted, I just haven't won, which is so, you know, honestly, just making a shortlist, say like the, the, five or six works from everything that year and what you know your books on that shortlist that's amazing the win is something special but just getting shortlisted is fantastic so but it really does seem to be a kind of a taste thing and um and it really very like the Ditmar awards are fan voted awards so that can be as much how well known you are a bit of a popularity contest rather than genuinely sort of quality work and some awards do operate a bit like that the Orialis awards and the shadows awards are both judged so that's much more you know a judging panel reading everything and deciding what they think is best so that's a different vibe a different kind of award and I've got four of those now the Australian shadows awards which is pretty exciting and they're they're, they're the awards specifically for horror and dark fiction in Australia so that that seems to be where I get 
most recognised at this point. And it, and I think the the whole award thing, I feel like it's a. Uh... It's, it's something I consider important and I haven't won for my anything for my fiction. I've been in the shortlist and everything, but I'm it's mm-hmm. one of my goals. And so it's interesting to think about it's actually submitting to things there as well, isn't it? It's not just waiting for something to happen. It's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you do there are some people whose work just kind of goes a bit ballistic and you know, you, we all want that kind of breakout book or that breakout recognition. And some people, they write this great book and it just goes super popular. And you're like, and you're like well, that's got to sweep awards. You just know it's going to get noticed regardless because it's it's caught the zeitgeist or whatever. But generally speaking, there's that much work out there that for the vast majority of us, if you don't or if your publishers don't um, send your work in for consideration in the awards, then you're definitely not going to win. Um, or get shortlisted so it is a case of being across them and like there's I've I've within because I write horror and dark fiction mostly the sort of there's two awards that are very much for me they're sort of the ultimate there's the world fantasy award and the Bram Stoker award I've been long listed for the Stoker before but I haven't won it yet and that's one that I'm sort of really like oh man I'd love to win a Stoker one day you know (laughs) Um, but again it's a case of they need to be aware of the work so the more your profile rises and the more people are reading your work then the more possibility there is that the general reading public is going to do the job for you but you also just need to push your own self as well and with the stokers you can submit work to the jury for consideration so rather than rely on hoping that they see it you can actually send work in so that they definitely see it and it's like well that gives you a better chance because at least you know the jury's going to read it that way there's no guarantee they'll read it they might do you know they probably read everything by Stephen King but that you know that's not the vast majority of us so mm. yeah you've kind of you do kind of have to play the game and it's and it is a great sort of validation of work and it's a great recognition and it definitely does help to get more readers because I know several times it's been said to me that a lot of people they love when the award shortlists are announced they don't really care who wins but when the shortlists are announced, that's, they go out shopping because they're like, oh, this is the quality stuff from last year. So if they're really into horror and the Aurealis Award shortlists announced and there's six novels on the best horror novel category, they'll go out and buy those six books because they're like, I want to read the stuff that's really good right now. So it's just that kind of marketing, if you like. You, you can't buy it. So mm, Oh, totally. I shop from the Bram Stoker uh, list as well. Yeah, I, me I too. Think- yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like because I also feel like horror as a genre is I don't want to say superior, <laughs> but it has <laughs> it has some incredible art as well. I guess speculative fiction. It's it's got some. It often has some really interesting ideas. I think people who don't read horror think it's all just like slasher, you know, stuff, which it's yeah. not. Um, no. And and of course, it's it is a, a difficult genre and many people try and avoid saying that they write horror I mean I've read some I've read quite a lot of your work and you range across all kinds of different things so do you think horror is is a true uh, only genre I mean it is on it's a category on Amazon or whatever or is it a thread in many other genres this is such an ongoing debate I've leaned more into just calling myself a horror writer these days partly because there was a period, as you said, a lot of people would hear horror and they'd be like, oh, no, I don't do horror because they think of the slasher movies, especially of the 80s and just this sort of buckets of blood and knives and gore. and that, that. But that's just one small aspect of horror. You know, horror is such a broad church. 
and like the vast majority of the stuff that I write, there is some kind of horror that leans into the the body horror and the and violence and stuff like that, definitely in what I do. But there's also a lot of cosmic horror and supernatural and quiet, weird horror and all sorts of stuff like that in what I do as well, which is across the board. You know, there's if people say I don't read horror and I, I can just say to people, OK, so what do you like? And if they tell me what stuff they're into, I can go, right, read this, this and this. And I can give them three horror books that will appeal to the same things because it is it is like that for to me horror and comedy are both kind of spices that you can add to any story so while there is definitely horror as a genre where the horror or the dark aspects of the fiction are prevalent there are things that you can you know you can have a science fiction story if you look at alien that's science fiction horror so you can have a romance if there's a ghost that's gothic horror you could so you know it, it's it's the sort of thing that intertwines that much that you can't really say that it's definitely a genre or it's definitely not because it becomes so intertwined with things which is true for a lot of genres in many ways there are certain genres where there are certain conventions that you need to have it's like if you've got if you've got fantasy then it needs to have some kind of fantastical elements if you've got science fiction it needs to have some kind of future science element you know because that's kind of by definition what it does and so if it's horror, it's got to have some sort of dark element. Horror and dark fiction is like that, but it can apply to any other genre. I've never met a genre I didn't like. I tend to kind of cram as many as I can into any given book and story. <laughs> There's elements of fantasy and supernatural and horror and crime and mystery in, in, in most of my books. So, yeah, I, it's a very difficult question to really answer, I think. Mm, and I guess it's not so much for us as writers, because we do tend to range across different things, especially, you know, like you, I kind of write across different genres, subgenres. Mm. And But readers can be super, super, uh, they'll stay with one genre that they love this type of book. And if yeah. it's not that type of book, they might not try it. And I, I feel like that's the challenge for cross-genre writers is not so much what we write but more finding readers so how, how yeah. I mean marketing is marketing is a fun thing uh oh, what, yeah <laughs> and I know that you primarily concentrate on craft that I, I mean you've always done that but what, what do you do for marketing and and what might have changed over the last decade in terms of marketing honestly it's a weird thing I mean part of it is is recognizing part of it is recognizing what you do and where things might appeal. So for example, if I know someone is really into crime and thrillers, then I, I'll suggest that they read Devouring Dark or the Eli Carver books. If I know that they're into fantasy, I'll suggest they read Hidden City or the Alex Kane books, because I'm kind of aware of, of where the genres lean a bit more one way or the other in, in the books that I do. So on the, at the first sort of level of marketing, that's always a good thing to do. And in, as well, being able to say, well, if you like this, you'll like that is another kind of thing. So you sort of, you know, who you write a bit like, even if, you know, I, I quite often get comparisons to Clive Barker, which is a massive boost to my ego. But it's also really useful to see to be, well, do you like Clive, Clive Barker? Well, you'll like this, you know. Everybody sort of, they write dark fiction, they get, they are, is this the next Stephen King? It's like, let's stop comparing people to Stephen King. Because <laughs> we, we, you know, King is the king, but we can't all be the next Stephen King. And so it, a lot of it is finding that kind of, that sort of comparative market that you can put yourself in. But as well, I think, especially as a career develops, market, I mean, there's the old, the old cliche that the best marketing is to write the next book because it's hard as hell to 
to promote one book, it gets much easier to promote 10. But it also does start to build it starts to build a vibe around you as a writer. And I like to think that these days I've been at this long enough now that it seems a lot of people are into Alan Baxter books rather than into any particular, when it comes to when they read my work, rather than necessarily um, being sort of sold the book itself. So I get that base level of readership that then hopefully keeps talking about it and recommending it. And every time you bring a new book out, then you hopefully get a few new readers that come along. Oh, what's this? This looks interesting. And then there are other people around going, oh, yeah, you've got to check this out. And it's that sort of snowball effect. But I've found that otherwise it really is just down to just sort of being out there and being genuine and being yourself and choosing the platforms that work for you. Because, I mean, it's very easy. There's just so many people now are embracing TikTok, for example. Um, and I've had a little noodle around on there because it's there's some books that are just going viral. They're going ballistic because they get sudden um, attention on TikTok. And it is definitely a new thing, especially among young, younger readers, people that are doing more sort of work to promote through TikTok. But if it doesn't work for you, don't do it because it's going to come across as just lame and not genuine. So you need to find a sort of few platforms that do work for you and just be there and be yourself and be genuine. And, and as far as I'm concerned, promote everything else um, so that people just are aware of you and what you do. And it gets to a point where they're like, well, this person promoted that book and I liked it and he promoted that book and I liked it. I might read one of his books. And, and that sort of feedback loop also works. Mm, yeah, I haven't bothered with TikTok. I really decided a couple of years ago that I prefer audio. Audio is my primary marketing medium, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'd rather not do any kind of video platform. <laughs> and just, <laughs> you know, so you choose, you have to choose, as you say, but you, what do you choose in terms of your marketing? Um, I'm, I've, settled really well with Twitter. I, I don't know why, but it just really vibes for me. I think there's a really strong sort of writing and reading community there, which is good, especially in, in genre fiction. There's really strong communities of readers and reviewers as well as writers. And like with any social media, you just have to curate curate your feed aggressively. The mute and block buttons get a lot of work um, because there's a lot of idiots out there and it's best just to shut them down. And so, you know, that's, the, the block is very useful for that. But I find that Twitter is a really good um, medium for sharing information, finding out about things and promoting stuff that's going on. I do have a Facebook page still, but I'm really no fan of Facebook. I don't I have ethical issues around Facebook in the first instance, but it, it's I also find it just kind of frustrating as a platform because so little of what you potentially put out there gets in front of other people's eyes. But I do like Instagram as well. I find that works well for just sort of sharing stuff around and, and having something visual as well that works. And then I've recently been just focusing a little bit more on my email list and my Patreon because you know that what you've got there is <clears throat> sort of a, a dedicated fan base that are genuinely interested in what you're doing. If they're subscribing to your newsletter or they're paying at some level of your Patreon, then you know that they're engaged and that they want information. And then you hope that if you um, if you cater well to them, that that propagates out as well and that feeds out. So that's what seems to work. I'm fairly new to Patreon, but otherwise that's what's working for me. I make a point of having a very a strong personal web spot, website as well. So my website is is well-developed. So that's the, that's the one place I control. I mean, because, you know, Twitter could disappear one day overnight potentially or anything else. So you've got to have a place that's your own. So... I keep my website strong and I have 
I can sell direct through there as well. And otherwise, those are the platforms that seem to work best for me. Mm, yeah, I think website, email list have to be the fundamentals. We've, yeah. <laughs> we've always focused on that. And then you know, one or two other places that you might reach out to. And of course, we met on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah yeah and I think because we got on there early like I think it was 2009 or something 2009 yeah I, yeah I had a I had a cause to check that relatively recently November 2009 it was when I started on Twitter yeah yeah so I would have met you probably around then because I was also in Australia and the early indie community and and uh, yeah. so yeah it's kind of funny that those of us who started on Twitter early still love Twitter and it, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting it, isn't it it's it quite, is and quite I, longevity it, really <laughs> yes well on longevity uh brings me to uh we're almost out of time so possibly my final question so you've ah. been writing a long time over a decade now and you've done all these different things what are your tips for writers who want to maintain a career for the long term because both of us again we've seen people sort of blaze into the community and then disappear because of <laughs> trying to go too hard too soon or whatever and, yeah. or, or be disappointed by writing something that they thought was gonna change the world and then and then doesn't so how, how do you maintain this writing career for the long term it's a good question isn't it I, the, honestly the I think the most important attribute is just to be bloody minded because it's it's a thankless gig you don't make much money at it especially early on and you know you can't if some people just land and hit the ground running but generally speaking you have to plug away for a long time you have to develop your craft you have to build your your a, a readership you have to build people's awareness of what's going on out there you have to keep putting work out so um and a lot of the time along the way you're going to get negative feedback you're going to get a lot of rejection and all that sort of stuff so it really is in the first instance just being bloody minded and determinated determinated <laughs> determined to uh i'm the determinator that's a new uh, um yeah so you're just determined enough to to just push on regardless because you're like if you've got the passion to do it and you've got the stories that you want to tell and you're like okay i'm, I'm going to keep writing these stories i'm going to keep doing the best job i can of it and i'm going to keep working to get better and better at it if i can and i'm just going to be too stubborn basically to quit and really when it comes down to it the only difference between published and unpublished writers or people who are still writing after x years and people who aren't is the ones who are still doing it are the ones who just didn't quit and they just kept doing it and so it's it's having that sort of that discipline to improve and then that sort of focus on wanting to get good at craft and to just take every little positive uptick as good motivation and to grit your teeth every time you get sort of kicked and carry on anyway. So, and, and which is not an easy thing. And it marries up with that whole martial arts philosophy, really, you know, you've got to have the discipline to, to train every day and to practice every day. And every once in a while, you're going to get your ass kicked, but you just keep going. That's the principle of it. It becomes, that becomes the lifestyle. So, And also I think the, the thing with martial arts as well, you don't win straight off, that you know in your first bout or whatever and you don't get good at something within your first year I feel like mm. so much of the frustration amongst authors is 
you know, I, my first novel or my first book didn't do anything. And yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, th- this is, it does, as you said, it does take get easier as you've been doing this for years and you build up your body of work. And th- it, do- it definitely does get easier over time yeah. in some way, right? Yeah, you get better at it as well. And you get more used to how it goes. And, you, you know, you get better at doing a good job of it sooner so it doesn't take you so long to do a good job each time i mean all, all this does marry with the martial arts they're both very similar that's why the martial art of writing was published like the, just the, that parallel of the principles involved of the of the two lives are basically the same i frequently have people who turn up to classes um at least non-covid times when there are classes and they'll they'll show up and you you, you after you've been because i've been doing martial arts you know longer than I've been writing 40 years I've been involved in martial arts you very quickly get to recognize uh, it's one of those people they turn up to a class and they look around and they expect that you're going to tell them a bunch of secrets and within a few weeks they're just going to be like Bruce Lee bouncing off the walls (laughs) and it's like well I can absolutely tell you a whole bunch of stuff that is not a secret it's just that's the knowledge and you can know that intellectually as much as you like. But until you've put in 10,000 hours of practice, you're not going to be Bruce Lee because um, I can teach you how to throw a punch and a kick and I can teach you all the principles of good mechanics that are involved, but you've got to do it again and again and again to get good at it. That's what it always boils down to. You've got to do the hard work. So if you've got a good teacher or a good mentor or whatever, fantastic, because they can help you do smart work, but you've still got to do the hard work. And that's the same with the writing. Just because you wrote a book, good on you. That's brilliant. A lot of people want to write a book and don't, or a lot of people think they're going to never do. The fact that you finished a book is fantastic. It's a great achievement, but it's your first book. Might not be any good. Might be really great, but you still nobody knows about you. So you've still got to put in the work. You've still got to keep going. Mm, and it helps if you enjoy the journey. I think that's important too. <laughs> you have to. You have to. If you don't like what you're doing, find something else because, yeah, it's uh, – there, there's there is a great deal of sort of satisfaction and pride to slowly building a readership and an audience and getting whatever publishing credits or scoring an, an award shortlist or whatever you know this stuff is all absolutely fantastic but in the general scheme of things it comes along incredibly infrequently even when you've been doing it for like more than a decade like 15 years or so close to that I have um the wins are still very few and far between so they're great when they start coming but you've got to love the process because yeah you'll lose your your motivation quickly otherwise Mm, absolutely that's what it always comes back to that a lot of authors get so obsessed with marketing that they forget this is primarily a craft (laughs) this is about the craft this is about for the long term it has to be because otherwise as you say you'll you'll go completely nuts so I will look forward to another decade of uh, reading your work and and uh, catching up with you every now and then (laughs) but where can people find you and your books online uh well the so the two best places to, to catch up with me, my website is easy to find. It's just my name, alanbaxter.com.au. So you can find that easy enough, A-L-A-N-B-A-X-T-E-R.com.au. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Baxter. Uh, if you just want to say hi, swing by. Every once in a while, I say something stupid on Twitter and my notifications go bananas and <laughs> and I miss a lot. But um, otherwise, it, yeah, I usually spend a lot of time on Twitter. I'm always kind of keen and fun to you know it's always fun to catch up with people and stuff so it's to find out about me and the books go to the website and you'll find everything you need there and all the various other social media links are on the website too great well thanks so much for your time alan that was brilliant no worries thanks for having me it's always great to chat to you and one day we will get to meet in person one day. we will one day <laughs> 
So I hope you enjoyed the interview with Alan and that it encouraged you to keep writing and keep submitting your work and keep publishing for the long term. And as I said, Alan and I have known each other for like over a decade now. And it's always great to check in with author friends and see how careers are progressing. And I personally find it really encouraging. So I, I enjoyed catching up with Alan and glad you could listen in. So I've got one final in between episode coming up this week on digitally narrated audiobooks with Talon Carmes from Deep Zen. And yes, I will include clips from two of my AI narrated audiobooks, which I've just done with Deep Zen. And we talk about whether AI narration is good enough for fiction as well as nonfiction and when it might go mainstream in the publishing industry, as well as uh, some tools that Deep Zen has coming hopefully soon for indie authors who want to try AI narration or digital narration. So next Monday, I'll be talking to MK Williams about how to stop asking for permission, the mistakes that helped her become more successful as an indie author, and how to cultivate patience for the long-term author career. So happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>